Championship point, number four, reaches, serves, comes back deep on the forehand side, hook back on the backhand, back edge of the baseline from Djokovic, hits forward into the middle of the court, the backhand cross court from Cherich, backhand cross court deep from Djokovic, nice angle found from Cherich, has to play another ball, the forehand down the line, Djokovic defends well and goes cross court with the backhand, a bit more pace on that from Cherich on the backhand side, a lofting ball and it's locked from Cherich! Out. Oh, Djokovic thinks this might might be in. I he didn't thought it was out, actually. I thought it was just out. But he's shaking his head, yeah, looking down. Yeah. I can't believe it. Djokovic has his head in his hands. The ball is out, the call does stand, and Dovak Djokovic and once again reigns supreme in Shanghai. Shanghai title number four, four from four in finals. The good friends embrace him and He's now 18 matches unbeaten. He's won 26 consecutive sets of tennis. And he'll be the new world number two on Monday. The celebrations now begin from the serve. He has dominated this second part of the season. He's dominated here this week. And he takes down Vornachorich in straight sets, 6-3, 6-4. Novak Djokovic, champion again in Shanghai, utterly dominant in the second part of the season, and now within touching distance of Rafa Nadal at world number one. 11-0 in finals in China, didn't drop a set, didn't drop serve, the man to beat after claiming Masters title number 32. Welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast with me, Gigi Salmon. Coming up, we'll be looking back on the Rolex Shanghai Masters, together with casting our eyes across the Asian swing. That's all coming up here on the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Podcast. Now, before I introduce my guests and we get their thoughts and everything that's taken place over the last week or so, I think it's only right and proper that we hear from the champion in Shanghai, Novak Djokovic. I want to thank you guys for making this event very special. Um, you know, this is definitely one of the, the most successful thousand events on the, on, the, on the world and I have been playing really well throughout my career in China in general, especially in Shanghai. Back in 2008, I won my first Masters Cup and that obviously opened a lot of doors for me and uh, made me the player that I am today. So this is a definitely a special place for me. Um, I want to congratulate Borna and his team on a great week. Uh, tough match today, but uh, you, uh, you show to the world that uh, we're going to see a lot of your tennis in the future on this level and I really wish you all the best. Alongside me for this podcast, Mars McLagan and Jill Krabus. We were together in the ATP Tennis Radio commentary box for the final, Jill, and it was another dominant display from now the new world number two, Novak Djokovic. Yeah, unbelievable performance. I mean, just so solid. And I think overall, I mean, he showed how quick he is around these courts, especially how fast these courts were playing here, particularly this week in Shanghai. And I think he just played unbelievable tennis, got stronger and stronger as the tournament went on. And, and I think it was just, he just broke down his opponent, opponents, really. I think it was really tough to see any kind of pressure that you could apply to him because he played so well, just so consistent throughout the whole week couldn't find any weaknesses in the Novak Djokovic game and, and something he said since he's lifted the title is he can't remember a week when he served as well as he did. 
I thought you were going to say you can't remember a weakness either. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the serve was extremely good. We talk so much about his movement, his uh, his defensive skills, but I mean, it, it's the offense as well, which makes it so difficult because, you know, players are forced to walk such a fine line. They, they overpress because of the defences. They make unforced errors. They sit back a little bit, and he pounces. Uh, and, and the serve was key to, to starting out. I mean, you know, the, the, the amount of first serves he landed and then the success behind it combined was, you know, was, was very, very difficult. And all in all, I mean, as, as the scoreline showed, there were some sticky moments, but, you know, it's been a very, very dominant performance and week from Novak Djokovic. He was outside the top 20 back in July. He had that little procedure on the elbow, Jill, at the start of the year. The, the contrast to Djokovic we saw first part to, to second part, there is no comparison. He's now won 27 matches, dropped just one since the start of Wimbledon. Wimbledon, Cincinnati, US Open, Shanghai. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I think just the how quickly he's recovered because I know there's been a lot of um, players that have got it, got some injuries and it takes them a little bit longer than than that to recover. But he's just done a really good job of, of making sure that he's really taking care of that elbow since he's come back. I think when he first came back, he was really struggling with that, especially on the serve. But he's he's really gained some strength in that area in his arms and done a good job of um, recovering really, really quickly. But not, not only recovering and playing great tennis, but dominating now at the end of the year. For both of you, is it one thing with Djokovic, a few things that fall into place, the elbow doesn't hurt anymore, he's back with Marin Vardy, he has the belief, or is it one thing that stands out for you that has seen this change from, let's pick out the, the Djokovic against Taro Daniel at Indian Wells, which is really tough to watch, and now the Djokovic where we're saying, are there any weaknesses in the Djokovic game? Uh, there's, there's nothing that stands out for me. I mean, let's not forget the player he was a few years ago. So it, it's nice for someone to know that they can do that. And I think, you know, there's, there's perhaps some worries that are just behind him and you don't need to worry about when you get out on the court. I mean, the elbow, w w when you're injured, it's your first few outings, you it is getting a bit of confidence in whatever's whatever's been hurting and and it's nice to maybe get a few matches even though he didn't win to think well okay that's dealt with that's that's one less issue to deal with getting his his fitness back is now you know it's, it's clearly there his that's another issue not to deal with and you you sort of start to 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 wipe out these issues and all you've got in front of you is just competing in the match in front and of course you've you've got to put in a lot of hard work and um discipline and dedication to go through it but that appears to be there now I think I think for me, if I had to choose one thing, it would be kind of getting that mentality back because I think when you are injured, it, you do think about it quite a bit on the court. Um, but it's not just being able to recover from that injury; it is getting the team. Obviously, the team has had an impact on him. It's it's the whole package. It's your surroundings. It's who you feel most comfortable with in your support group, who you're going to look up to when things aren't feeling so good, how you're going to adapt. So I, I think for me, like getting his head back in that right position, because I, I felt like that match that you brought up, Gigi, against Tara Daniel, I just didn't, I feel like he was all scattered, especially mentally. So I feel like he's really zoned in on that and gotten that back together. And something else he's been very open and honest about since the start of this tournament is the goal of being number one again by the end of the year. And he's so close now to Rafa Nadal. We cannot talk about the final without talking about Borna Cioric, a man, Miles, you know well, spent time coaching him in the past. This really has been the breakthrough break year for the 21-year-old. Oh, it certainly has a couple of 
big wins. I mean, two two wins over over Federer, both in in big occasions, a final in Halle, a tournament that Federer's had a lot of success, and then and then the, the semi final uh, in Shanghai, and and the manner in which he won that match was incredibly impressive. He he he, he didn't waver at all. He was pushed at times, as you'd expect, playing you know one of the, one of the greats, and um, and he, he he didn't blink. He his, his and his level of tennis was was phenomenal, and he's improved, no doubt about it. Um, I mean, the the evidence is there this year. How long he's actually been working on it is probably you know longer than that because things don't just happen o overnight. But it does. It I, I do. I do know him quite well, and it was. It's nice to see someone who's worked as hard as he has getting getting reward. And we're talking about not only his manner, Jill, but also his maturity. Yeah, I think he's he's done a great job of that, and I and I think. Um, especially with his semifinal win against Federer here. I mean, I know he had beaten him before in Halle, but I thought his reaction after he won that match, like, it, it was, there was, like, no surprise. And it was, like, it almost looked like after he won, he was like, yep, that was, that's, that's what my plan was. That's what I was supposed to do. <laughs> Where a lot of times you see a big win like that, and, um, you know, there's jumping up and down and joy. Like, they can't, some players, just, you have this look that they can't believe it. But I felt like he almost knew that he was going to come through if he just kept at it. And I, and I think um, the, the mentality and the maturity are definitely more there. And, and he's handling those expectations of becoming a top player much better. And he's made a few changes. You have to keep developing, growing, evolving, whoever you are. And Miles most recently for Chorich was switching up the team, moving his base and being open-minded to making some changes. Yeah, working with um, Riccardo Piatti and, and Christian Schneider now out of, uh, out of their base in, in Italy. But, you know, a lot of the work is, is also done on the road and, and about being consistent. And, uh, you know, it takes a... He had some he had some physical problems in the past. Well, I think while the body was still maturing and, and settling in, so it's getting past those frus frustrations. But you know, Riccardo Piatti is someone who's uh, had a lot of experience. Was the longtime coach of Ivan Lubicic, and and I don't know Christian Schneider, but you know, let's. I think sometimes they may play different roles, but one is equally important as another as the other. I think um, you know, Riccardo Piatti is the lead coach, but sometimes it's the guy doing the day in day out work <laughs> that's got to uh, take a, a brunt of the um, brunt of the emotions that you know really you know that, that counts for a lot. So the next gen continue to rise, but in this instance, it was the old guard who came out on top. So I want to return to our Shanghai winner and the new world number two, who also has a unique claim. Djokovic is the only person to have won every single Masters event, completing the set when he beat Roger Federer to win the Cincinnati Masters back in August. Well, Novak, congratulations again on competing that career Golden Masters earlier in the summer. How much do records or career landmarks like this matter to, to tennis players, I guess, or even pro, pro athletes in any sport? Well, thank you very much. I uh, received a lot of uh, support and a, uh, a lot of messages of congratulations and uh, encouragements and, and uh, respect from, from my colleagues, but also from people from different sports. And um, I, I think when I, when I started receiving those messages and, and, and people coming up to me and you know, uh, praising my uh, achievement, I understood how big that achievement is. And obviously, I, I, I knew the importance and the weight of, uh, you know, trying to win the Cincinnati. And uh, I was in the position to complete the career Golden Masters for several years in a row. And um, actually, a couple of years in a row, I haven't played Cincinnati. 
Um, so I was, I was looking forward to come back and, and um, I, I just started playing my, my best, I think, on the grass courts. I, I thought I, I had a fantastic run in Queens and Wimbledon, obviously. That was a, it was a big comeback. I felt, um, <clears throat> you know, playing at the level desired and, and level that I worked really hard for. Uh, and it took obviously four or five months really to for things to come together after a surgery. So um, I was as, as motivated as ever really coming into Cincinnati. I, I uh, had an early exit in uh, Toronto. So I had time to practice and to get used to conditions that are quite tricky in Cincinnati. You know, they ball flies through the air very quickly and courts are, are fast. So, you, you know, kind of have to be alert and um, adjust to that game, you know, be, be a little bit more aggressive and play with good intensity. So, I, you know, I had an ultimate challenge uh, in the finals, playing as the most successful player in Cincinnati, Cincinnati's tournament's history. Feather, who has won against me in two or three previous finals occasions that I had there. Um, and, and I knew, you know, I knew what's expecting me. So um, I, I thought... I thought I was very, very focused. I came out, uh, came out very motivated, but I also managed to, to hold my nerves, I think, in the important moments and had a great support. So it was just uh, one of those days that, uh, that works in your favor, and I was just very, very grateful to, uh, to achieve such a, such a fantastic uh, milestone. I mean, it all started 11 long years ago in, in Miami. What sort of player was a 20-year-old Novak Djokovic? And what do you remember of your emotions at the time beating that surprise finalist, I guess, in, in Guillermo Canas? I remember the finals very well. That was actually the, the first and only best of five finals I've, I've played uh, um, in, in Masters 1,000 events. Um, Canas was, I, I remember, playing really well. He beat back-to-back, -back, I think, tournaments, Indian Wells and Miami Feather. Uh, and um, you know he was uh, he, he was tough tough to play you know because he he was running a lot of balls down and not making too much mistakes. But I I was just uh, a teenager who was uh, inspired to play his best tennis and you know very pumped so so to say to be in this kind of occasion to to fight for you know for the Masters title and uh, yeah I mean obviously a dream come true a lot of doors open for me after after that win I think there was a huge springboard uh, for what was to come after that I, I won later that year uh, another um, Masters thousand event in Montreal you know beating uh, number three two and one of the world quarter semis and finals and and uh, and having a phenomenal match with Roger seven six in the third set so you know definitely those um, those wins meant a lot to me I started really back then to to believe that I'm you know I can challenge and win um, you know on a big stage against the best players in the world and I proved it to myself and yeah and then after that you know the rest is history. But a couple of years of near dominance as well we really have to talk about obviously at 2011 and 2015 and, and when you look back at those years I mean what had clicked for you and and how remarkable was that achievement when you consider the sort of the era you're playing against with the likes of Roger and Rafa and, and Andy of course as well. Well, obviously, I mean, rivalries with all these three guys um, were quite different, and, and each of those rivalries has shaped me into the player I am today, and I really am grateful to be in, that, in their era. Um, if you asked me that at the beginning of my career, I probably wouldn't give you the same answer because they were, you know, winning, especially Nadal and Feather, most of the matches that I played against them. And uh, 
right now I do have a positive score, but it took it took over you know, almost a decade to actually uh, start um, winning head to head, um, and and you know those two guys especially and Andy of course, but you know Feder and Nadal have um, really made me do my homework and and get out on the court and and figure out what you know what it takes to to win against those guys to to win the the big titles and and I've been just also very very fortunate not to get any major injuries um, on the road um, I had elbow just a couple of years ago and obviously surgery earlier earlier in 2018 but other than that throughout my entire professional career I've stayed pretty healthy I haven't missed any slam and I haven't you know missed too many thousand events and just uh, I think that has helped also in terms of creating such schedule in a way where I can peak at a certain time that I feel like is most uh, appropriate for uh, you know for my career and I've, I've managed to do so. Does the fact that you achieved that Cincinnati success on the back of that long injury layoff make it one of your even more satisfying feats in your career let's say? Oh absolutely I mean considering the obviously the occasion considering the the uh, challenge that was at task and you know the milestone that was that was there waiting um, you know to to be conquered and to be achieved um, I played I think five previous finals and I failed at the last step and um, you know obviously <laughs> I must must say that it was at the back of my mind coming into that finals against Roger um, and, and and knowing that I've never won against him there knowing that I've never won that tournament obviously it was a huge occasion the best possible finals and and uh, it's just uh, I, I just managed to to as I said uh, calm myself down and center myself and you know just get the best out of out of out of myself out of my game uh, I thought I was well prepared I was playing well I, I got myself out of dig myself actually out of, out of the trouble in a couple of matches before that, you know, I was, I was, I was losing, a, I was the, down a break in quarters against uh, Raonic. I was, uh, you know, losing against Dimitrov set in a break. And, um, you know, I won a very close three-setter against Cilic in semis. So it was just, it's one of one of these things when, you know, it's just everything turns out your way and it, it was meant to be. And um, I'm just... Uh, you know, um, obviously, I was very jo uh, joyful after it and grateful as well. Great. Congratulations again. Thank you. Thanks very much for your time. Thank Appreciate you. It. Appreciate it. Thank you. Now, I want to run through a few other stories from Shanghai. And a young man who a lot of people are talking about is Alex de Menor, who at the tender age of just 19 is currently Australia's top male player. A great goal to achieve at such a young age. Oh, it's unbelievable feeling. I mean, uh, I never thought this would have happened uh, anytime soon. It's been an incredible year for me. I uh, started at 2000, uh, 208 in the world and, and now where I am right now, it's just been incredible and I honestly couldn't have done it with uh, the support I've had from the Aussie players. You know, Johnny, uh, he's helped me out a lot. Uh, Jordan, uh, all these Aussie players, especially in Davis Cup, they've really helped me with uh, just believing in myself and, and uh, believing that I belong here and it's just uh, I really owe it all to them. And of course that consistency has put you in the running for the, for the next gen finals in Milan in a few weeks time. Um, is that, was that on the, the agenda at the start of the year as well and how much, assuming you do get over the line and qualify, are you, are you looking forward to that? 
you know, that was always in, in the back of, of our minds. And uh, But it just being able to make it uh, to the next-gen uh, finals just shows that you've had a, a great level throughout the whole year. Uh, you haven't had one standout tournament and haven't been able to back it up. It's about being able to back it up throughout the whole year and um, it just shows you um, the level that you've had the whole year. So I'm, I'm very happy with my efforts. We'll talk about what, what you feel you need to develop uh, in the next maybe six months, a year in, in a second. I just wondered for the perhaps the listeners who don't know too much about what you do away from tournament weeks, can you just give us an idea of where your base is and, and who's working with you and who's helped you on this journey, particularly over the last 12 months? Uh, well, at the moment, I, I live in Alicante, Spain. Uh, that's where the whole family's at and... Uh, the little time that I have off tournaments, that's uh, where I spend. Um, and just there with uh, my coach, Adolfo Gutierrez, who he's been with me now, I think, about 10 years. I mean, um, I started with him when I was probably around uh, 8 or 10. And then uh, halfway through, I had to go to Australia and... Um, started with uh, tennis coaches over there and with the academy and with all the support of Tennis Australia. And um, when I came back to Spain, we sort of reconnected and it's just been great because he's one of the guys that probably has been there uh, close to day one. And it's been an immense help to have him in my corner as well as, uh, you know, my manager who's done a lot of weeks with me, David Drysdale. He's probably done uh, just finished like four months on the road with me and um, the little things like that just make a huge difference and to have a, a great team around me I can really just focus on on playing tennis and obviously uh, with the great help of uh, Leighton as a mentor and just uh, showing his belief in me it, it it's all been it's been an amazing year, and it's been thanks to to the people around me. And with one eye on the future, I, I think another good element this season, an impressive element, is how well you've done across different surfaces, different continents, right through the season. Have you pinpointed things that maybe you need to say, I need to do this better in 12 months' time, or, or that's going to be something that we, we really need to develop in maybe five years' time, however long-term that plan is in terms of game development? Oh, there's definitely a lot of things, and um, every time you're out there, you you learn new things. And, and I mean, this is only my second year on tour, so uh, still uh, a lot of things where I'm learning, and uh, it's a lot of a learning process. I mean, you gotta um, you got to know what tournaments to play. I mean, now that this is my second year around, um, sort of it's, this year has been the first time I've played a lot of tournaments and from there I can sort of tell where suits me better and where I feel more comfortable and stuff like that. And I think that's just one of the things that you learn from just being on tour, to choose what tournaments you play, um, see how well the body handles all the tournaments, if you need to take more breaks or you can play four or five tournaments in a row, even how, how you're doing mentally, because sometimes that's probably one of the most important things. Um, 
if you feel good mentally, you don't feel tired, um, then that's when you, you have your good week. So you've got to try and, and keep refreshed uh, mentally. That's why um, next year I'm looking forward to probably playing uh, less tournaments and having more training blocks back home. All the best. Thank you for joining us on uh, ATP Tennis Radio and congratulations on that top spot uh, in Australia. At this section, Jill and Miles, we can talk young players, other headlines, players that maybe have stood out for you. But Alex de Menor, he is Jill. He's just quietly going about his business. When you look at him or you walk past him, there's almost nothing of him. He's got this elfin face, but he's got fire and power and steel and Leighton Hewitt in his corner. Yeah, and, it, and similar to the finals that we had today, George and Djokovic, the way he plays, like very good defensively, is so quick around the court. Yet uh, Leighton in his corner, he, that's, Leighton is someone that he's looked up to for a really long time. So that's huge, especially just for the, men, the mental part of it, because Leighton was so good mentally. But I think uh, Diminor has that, has quite a bit of that. I think um, he's just going to continue to grow and get better because he's such a good fighter. And it's hard to teach that in, in particular. And he already has that down. Um, he's just got to develop maybe a little bit, a few more weapons. I like the fa fact also that he's not afraid to come forward, come into the neck. He's got that good all around game so yeah there's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how he starts to develop and gets better he's fourth in the race to milan third because you take out zverev who's now qualified for london so zverev will play in london miles do you see him as a serious title challenger and what areas of his game do you look at and see and believe that he can improve yeah, I think he is a, a title challenger because you never write off anybody with with that attitude. But I think, as as Jill just touched on, he was he was made to look very lightweight against uh, Sasha Zverev. Um, it was a match we were looking forward to, and and Zverev, who was obviously had a good week, but he just he contained everything that that Demonor threw threw at him. So, you know, perhaps with a little bit of physical maturity, as you said, he's still quite slight. Uh, I don't know how much. Not everyone fills out. I mean, ask Gilles Simon. <laughs> but uh, but a little more weight of shot and and perhaps you know tempering that uh, that competitive spirit into some, with a little more court craft at times. Uh, but you know, I think really like what what we've seen from him, someone who's who's gonna gonna fight but also you know i think taking on the advice that it's one thing being surrounded by it, but you've got to take on the advice and and learn from it and he's, he, i'm sure he's doing that well we're looking at other headlines and stories and people i just want to stay in australia and talk about matt ebden because no one was talking about matt ebden at the start of this tournament but he came through his first round against francis tfo he then defeated dominic team the six seed. i know people will say yes but this time of the year dominic team we're not expecting that much it is still the sixth seed in this tournament to come through against team then to come through against Peter Goyovchik before finally falling to Borna Cioric. It's really nice. He's one of those players, Jill, that people talk about, Matt Ebden. He's a hard worker. He's been on the tour for a long, long time. It's nice to see players like that getting these rewards. Yeah, and that hard work does pay off when you're putting it on the practice court, as, and we saw that this week with Matt Ebden, and these courts suited him as well, the little faster courts in the style of game that he plays, takes the ball really early, likes to come forward into the net pretty often, and you don't see that style of game too much, so it is difficult to play against it when you're faced with it all of a sudden, but I mean, he has the tools. He's able to, to do a lot of damage, Matt Ebden, but it's just um, getting those weeks, weeks consistently over and over again because he's got a lot of um, top wins, but it's being able to do that over and over again.
And there's a player that we talked about in commentary towards the end there in Kane Ishikuri, an established player, former top five player, but someone, Mars, that you and a lot of people look at because you know the talents there, you know what he can do. It's just seeing if, again, he can he can get forward. He hasn't won a title since 2016. He's fallen in his last eight finals when he's reached there. It's He can achieve so much. It's just whether he can get back up there again. It is a question of that, and and his health. I mean, we, we always it's we always talk about that with Nishikori, and, and you know, Djokovic talk about his run in 21 in the world, sort of in the first half of the year, and now he's well, he's probably the the favourite to finish number one. I mean, Nishikori's had had a good run as well, because let's not forget his season only really started. He played one challenger, leading, or he played two challengers, sorry, leading into Monte Carlo, where and he's played a lot of really really good tennis, had a couple of big matches, uh, you know, that that one with. Um, with Djokovic in, in, at Wimbledon was was a really high quality match and it was good to see him sustain that for a while because the, I've seen a few matches particularly between those two when Nishikori started out well and then it's sort of fallen away after six games which you wouldn't be the only person to do that against Djokovic but he's, he does have the talent to stay further and you know if he can get um, I, I think a couple more good or really good tournaments in this year a whole bunch of matches and start next year and get a, fr a, a good run I mean he's a yeah, I mean he's certainly someone who's looking to be in the top five a man who's risen up the rankings this season thanks to his semi-final showing at Roland Garros is the Italian Marco Cecchinato who took time out to speak with Lee Goodall I just want to talk to you about your season. It's been an incredible year. I mean, you've, you've burst onto the scene. Many tennis fans, perhaps, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, they may not have heard of the name Marco Cecchinato before 2018, but two titles, some fantastic tennis on the clay. Of course, there was Roland Garros' story as well. When you look back, can you maybe at the start of the year or at some point in the journey, can you put your finger on certain things that have helped you or maybe changed behind the scenes? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, when, when I was, I think, out the top 100, uh, somebody know Marco Cecchinato. Now, I think in Italy, uh, all, the, all the people know Marco Cecchinato for, for the tournament in Roland Garros, uh, for the amazing season I won to ATP, uh, the semi-final in Roland Garros from 40, year, 40 years ago from Corrado Barazzutti. So now in Italy, know who is Marco Cecchinato. And for me, it's, uh, it's amazing this because when I was young, uh, the, you know, the, the goal uh, top 100 now is... Uh, I think top 20 so I'm very very happy and now I want to to continue to play every week focus because uh, uh, now maybe two three tournaments for the end uh, the year and I want to stay focused practice and fly down so you know <laughs> and, and when when finish the Parigi Bercy I I want to. I need some some rest, some holiday, and then I want to start again for the next year because uh, you you said good is amazing here, but I I have 26 years old. Uh, I hope I have 10 more years. So I want to to practice and enjoy this moment. What do you think you're doing differently on the court, or maybe it's something different away from the court this year? Can can you think of how your how your game has changed in the last 12 months? 
For sure, I stay focused every point because uh, last year and uh, and the year before I, I played one point, two no, two yes, and uh, it's not possible to play it, uh, on tennis like this. And now I stay focused every point. I practice better uh, in the court. I think is uh, is better my mind, you know. And out the court, I stay very relaxed with my girlfriend, with my family, and uh, for me, it's very very important stay. You know, relax out the court, and when you go on court, you you can play every point, and this is for sure a change. It seems like it's been a good year for Italian tennis as well. I mean, Fabio has been playing some incredible tennis. He was so close to winning four titles in one season a couple of weeks ago. Just lost to Tomic. Andrea Seppi's back playing. Uh, I saw Sonigo playing some good tennis uh, in Rome earlier this year. Berrettini as well. I guess it. we always say it helps when you've got a, a group sort of hunting in a pack. Is, is, is that the same in, in Italian tennis? Yeah, you say good because this is the best moment of Italian tennis because now I think we are in four top 50 and also Sonego and for for the Italian young is very important because uh, you know when there are so many players in top 50 or top 100 also for the young guy is uh, is, is important is uh, also for me is very important you know I can see every match Fabio uh, fight and won maybe three ATP and it was very very close for for ATP so this is very important for me and for the the, the Italian tennis player a big name next Novak Djokovic a name you know of course from earlier this year in Roland Garros I just want to know what you remember from that day I mean it must uh, it, am I right in saying that's the biggest day of your career so far that win over Novak in Paris and and when you sit down at the end of the season, what are the what are the pictures in the mind that come from that day against Novak? Yeah, of course, I remember the match in Roland Garros. Uh, the, the best moment, I think, when the match point, the passing, uh, I remember uh, unbelievable moment for me. Marco, all the best. Thank you for joining us on ATP Tennis Radio. Thank you very much. Started outside the top 100 this year, Marco Cecchinato. He's now 21. And that highlights, Mars, if you go deep in a Grand Slam or a Masters event, suddenly the doors open, the money is there, you can plan your schedule, you know exactly what you're going to do, and you've got a massive, massive opportunity. Yeah, you do, and you, you earn it, because uh, you know, it's not, not easy to do what, what, what he did. And, I mean, his challenges doesn't need to worry about it just yet, but when the French Open comes around next year, but sort of defending <laughs> some of that. But, and, and I thought that, I mean, he, he was a little bit, during, watching him during running games, he was a little bit of a throwback to the traditional clay court, you know, heavy spins and deep behind the baseline. So, you know, here in particular, it was good to see him get a couple of wins, Gilles Simon, who we mentioned earlier, and, uh, and Hyung Chung, who perhaps has, you know, has been out for a little bit, so playing his way back into a bit of uh, fitness and confidence. But, you know, a couple of, couple of good wins, and this is, you know, the confidence can grow. You get in and amongst this sort of environment and these players and get accepted, then you can you know things can happen for you yeah I think um, this was actually the I saw him a little bit at the French Open play but this was actually the first time I watched him a little bit more and I was pressed I just liked how feisty he was yeah. he was a good fighter <laughs> um, and he's just so quick around the court another one that is just so fast got great defensive skills but um, I agree with Miles I think you know next year whenever you have a good run one year it's always exciting to watch your ranking go up in the next year when you have to defend it's when it, it shows like how you can handle that pressure of defending those points well that's I think the pressure never really eases on the tennis tip because never. 
Jill, is it always in the back of your mind if you've had a big run like that that you've either got to scoop up all those points so it doesn't hit you like a hammer blow when you turn up there next year or the fact you're just thinking about getting back there and wow I got to the semi-finals there last time I've got to do something similar or you could drop like a stone yeah well you have this period where you can enjoy it for a little bit because <laughs> it's a year away so you're not thinking about it right away but yeah as, as it starts to get closer I mean even I I don't know Miles what you think but like a few turn like a couple months before you're starting to think about it and then you, it kind of affects your it can affect your play a, a few months leading into that event I mean I've seen players where they're thinking about it for six months ahead already really? defending those points yes that's unbelievable. And we had this situation where we had Roger Federer in Shanghai Miles defending the title he won last year. And because Novak Djokovic had pulled the curtain down by this time on his season, he's just free to do whatever he likes this year because he's got no points to defend. He's just mopping up. It's all yeah. it's all upside. And um, yeah, and the form, as we've been discussing, looks like he's going to mop up a, a few more. But you know, you know, in terms of Cecchinato, just he's done a pretty good job. I mean, if it took away his his Roland Garros points, he'd still be ranked around 50 in the world. So he's doing a good job of build, you know, sort of building support in terms of points around that. And who's to say he won't win a few rounds? I mean, if you had to bet, you're probably not going to back him to back up that semi-finals. But you know, if you're seeded, you get a chance to get through a few rounds, and it sure softens the blow. If you well, don't. some of it's luck of the draw too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. A player who has stood out and stood up on the Asian swing has been Nicholas Baslashvili. Now, the Georgian came unstuck against Sasha Zverev in the second round in Shanghai, but he came out victorious in Beijing, defeating Juan Martin Del Potro in the final. An undercooked Del Potro was suffering from the flu, but still Baslashvili had to cross that finish line, which he did. It's his second 500 title in a matter of months. Now, Lee Goodall's been speaking with Baslashvili's coach, Jan de Witt. It's a fairly new partnership on the ATP World Tour. Well, I'm back in the garden outside the, the players' restaurant uh, and I'm delighted to say joining us on ATP Tennis Radio, certainly uh, probably a, the name of a coach that most listeners will recognise. Been in the game a long time, Jan de Witt. Very nice to talk to you and, and, and especially interesting at the moment because the man that you're working with, Nikolaj Basilashvili, has had an incredible second half of the season. First of all, today's performance looks pretty good out there. You must be very pleased. Yeah, today I'm really pleased. The performance was more than good. And um, it doesn't happen too often that I have no complaints or nothing I would like to see better. But today is not much what I can say that he was not performing in the right way. So I'm pretty happy. You got the call from Nikolos, I would imagine. Can you just give us a bit of a background of how that came about and when exactly you started working with him? I mean, Nico plays since two years already in our club in Halle. It's not only that we have the academy and the tournament, we also have a Bundesliga team since many years and he plays for the team since two years. And I had matches against Nico, so we knew each other from the tour, but not that well and a bit better from the team matches. And uh, he had been talking to me before and I was always busy, so there was no chance that we could try something. And then in the springtime, when he started calling me, um, I was still working in the football club, so right in the first moment I still could not help him with anything. But we started talking about doing it maybe a bit later during the season when I have a bit more time. And he didn't have a setup, he was just on his own and trying to figure out things. And then we finally got it going French Open. And anyone who perhaps isn't playing 
close attention to tennis results, they'll see this guy, Basilishvili, he's won Hamburg, that's an ATP 500. He's won Beijing, another 500, which is an incredible effort for anyone to win two 500s in, this, in the space of a few months. Had a great run in New York. They'll be saying, what's going on with this guy? Can, do, you, do you have the answer? <laughs> You've done something special with him, or maybe, maybe just some small changes. I, from the outside, it always looks like there must be something magic or something big going on. And um, I can explain you what we did. And then it's always up to the person that these things are happening with, how he's responding on that and how he can, how can use the things that are maybe new or the advice that I can give to him. And when you see the results, I would say it's, it's more a sign of that this player is really open-minded and took a decision for himself to change some things. And he's the one who's changing, not me. I can give him some advice and we had some areas in the game when we were really working because for me all this is, is, is really no magic. So um, I'm, I'm really convinced that it's about knowledge and about doing the things in a proper way. Like when we work on the return, I really have to know my stuff. I really have to know it. And you need to be good in biomechanics, in technique. You need to have a vision of how the player is doing it. And then you have to find the right words. And that's sometimes not even words. You have to find the right ways to get the message to the player. And what you can say is that we were really successful so far in, in, in getting my message to this guy and the way how he was responding on it. Because anytime when we try to, to give some information, the deciding end is not the one who has an idea and wants to give an information. The deciding end is always the one that is receiving. And my main job is to know my stuff and then to find the way that he can receive the message in the best possible way for himself. And that's what we try to do and, and that it works that quick with these big results. It's just happening, this is not planned. You must be delighted with his attitude then, I guess that's that's the key, isn't it? I guess you're, you're saying the way he's been open-minded, that's the phrase you, you used, and being able then, I suppose, the challenge is taking it on to the biggest stages. I mean, the, the Masters 1000 here to beat Shapovalov, the, the final of Beijing against Del Potro, US Open, It's that's that's not easy, is it? No, that's definitely not easy, and we could see on those stages that, that my player is really not scared to win on the big stages. He's not only showing up there, he's hungry to win. And honestly, we are really looking forward to play Zverev tomorrow because we want to play those guys. I mean, we played Rafa in the biggest stadium in the world, we played Delpo now in the finals in Beijing, now we are happy to play Zverev in a Masters 1000 here in Shanghai. That's what we want to do, and with this attitude I'm really happy, but on the other hand, uh, it's still a lot to improve, also in attitude, in everything. We can improve everywhere. Which is good news, surely, because that means the ranking can only go in one direction. No, that's never meaning that the ranking can go only in one direction. The ranking can go anywhere, but the ranking is not the thing that we are focused on. We are focused on, on, on putting the game together, in finding quality, in showing up for practice every day with a high motivation. And the results going to follow the quality that we're going to bring to the court and the ranking is going to follow the results that we're going to bring with our quality. So we are really not thinking ranking or... No, that's not, that's not the approach. I'm pretty sure that the other things are bringing you much further in life and especially in sport. Focus on what you have to do. Focus on doing it right and, and just be in the moment and, and do it as good as you can. And then the results and the ranking and the money and the fame and everything will follow. If you think about that and you're scared maybe not to make this or maybe I do this wrong, no, I don't believe in that. 
Jan, it's always very interesting talking to you. I appreciate your time. It's late in the day here in Shanghai. Good luck in the next round and beyond, and I, I hope we see more of you on the tour. I hope so as well. I really enjoyed listening to the interview, Jan de Vett. People can go to the ATP Tennis Radio exclusives channel they can find on the TuneIn platform and listen to what they had to say. And, and Jill, it came down to Jan de Vett saying Bastos really got to a point he'd been travelling on his own when he was open-minded. He wanted change, and that is why... And it was also timing. It hadn't worked. Jan de Vett was busy and then Bastos, etc., etc. It seems to be the perfect time, but he said it was very important that the player was open to change. Well, that's exactly what Miles was talking about with Leighton, with Diminar. I mean, it's the, it's good to have the information there, but it's how the player is going to take it. And obviously, Bastosvili got to the point where he was like, okay, he's decided, he's ready to be open, he's ready to try new things. And you have to be open to to what your coach says. You have to be willing to just try things and see how it works out. And it's good that he, you know, he wasn't stubborn about that. He was willing to you know, be a little bit more open to all that. And obviously, it's made a huge difference. And he's been so rock solid. Another one that was great mentally the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, he faced Zverev here, lost in the in the second round to, to Sasha. But I think he had a really good run. I think he can get a lot of positive away from, from the Asia swing here. Do you know Jan Devitt well from the tour? Yeah, I know him pretty well, yeah. Good... Uh Hard working. He, he comes across in the interview, and he said, "We're not, we're not focused on the rankings. We're not. Surely, as a player, though, Jill. I mean, you look at the rankings. You don't look. At, I, I, I'm not sure I ever believe it when they say we're not focused and we're not looking. I at feel rankings. like sometimes I did, and sometimes I didn't. It kind of depended where I was in the rankings. So I think. maybe he's telling Jan. Nicholas, I'm not looking at the rankings, but secretly goes home and has a little look at the well, fact that he's now 23 <laughs> in the world. But I, I think, you know, it's you, you can't get away from it because yeah. if it's, you know, it's not there and suddenly you turn up and it's like, well, what are you doing here? Your ranking's not, you know, you, <laughs> there's got to be some sort of awareness. But I think it's deciding on what your priority is, is going to be. Like, do we sit down at the start of the year and go, right, I want to be top 20? Or do you say, right, I want to do this with my game, and the ranking will will reflect that. And you know, before, I think even Borna Charich, it was a real little thing about him saying, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to work on improving my game. That's going to be the focus. And I think, um, you know, even we talk about maturity. I think there's different stages. I mean, we talked about you know, Charich coming from being a teenager into 21 now, but there's probably that that midlife maturity in terms of a tennis player around 25. Not a crisis. No. <laughs> but, and, well, sometimes, well, maybe it was for Bess, actually. That's why you went seeking the end of it. But, uh, but and then also the, there's an extra maturity. I think when you get past 30, perhaps, and you realize, you know, when careers in the past were being over, that you think maybe a new enjoyment, right? Let's really see what I can get out of this and the pressures. And perhaps for Bess, I mean, I don't know exactly... What, what sort of what the depths or the, the, the wandering in the wilderness on his own uh, entailed. But you think, well, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm not happy with this. I, I want to take on some advice. I mean, you, you know, they've got the old the expression, you can lead a horse to water and you can, sometimes you even have to hold its head under the water and block its nostrils and make them drink sometimes. That's another so. level. There's Miles' coaching <laughs> techniques for you. <laughs> if we're looking back for a highlight from... Shanghai it might not be our ATP tennis radio commentary box. It's been very, very hot and it's been very, very cold. <laughs> we, we've gone through the extremes in the commentary box. We're, we're currently speaking to you wrapped up in jackets and, and jumpers and, and scarves. So it might not be the highlight, but who or what or what match or what inside? I mean, the, the, the Roger Federer watercolour, the oil paintings. I mean, they are one of the highlights for me. The two ladies who sacrificed their own view and their own seat to put these life-size oil paintings 
paintings in front of them to show their devotion to Roger Federer. So that an oil picture of Roger Federer could watch Roger Federer playing. Exactly. <laughs> two, two oil paintings two, of Roger yeah. Federer could watch Roger Federer. What has it been? I, I love Shanghai. There's so many bits and pieces from the music that we've spoken about a yeah. lot on ATV Tennis so Radio. But yeah. Well, that was, go ahead. I, I mean, I think on uh, on court, for the way the way Charge played, the way he played against Federer was was very very impressive. The the level, the way he closed it out, the way he didn't blink, I I, I really uh, admired. But it's it's probably got to be the playlist, hasn't it? I mean, good music good. back from you know. <laughs> Very good music, which we now have found out that there is a theme. And Jill wasn't happy one of the days. Got into the There theme. was a theme for today. We we gave up on the final. Yeah, did did you find the final theme or did we give up on the final theme? I gave theme? up because I don't I don't think we know either. So if we're not going to get that, I sort of gave up. <laughs> She's not playing. So Jill, what would it have been for you from Shanghai? What do you take away from Shanghai? I mean, I think that was a big one. Miles just said, the Chorich, the way he came through against that Federer match and just the way he competed today. I mean, he came up against a player that was just no holes in his game whatsoever. But the fact that he had that extra fighting spirit and the, the focus that he had today, I th thought was incredible. But I do want to say like one moment too, and Gigi, you're going to laugh at me because it was one of my favorite players, but <laughs> the Sitsipats-Hashinov match. But that tie break at the end in the second set was, I mean, I, I think I commentated with Rupert. It was the most incredible tie break. It was just such a good match, such good fighting from both players. And, the, and Hashinov too, I think is one, is one to watch. I mean, he's got a big big game, a lot of power, huge serve, huge forehand. Um, but the way those two fought in that tiebreaker at the end, was, it was really impressive. I'm surprised you didn't manage to squeeze Denis Shapovalov in there. Okay, I wrote him down. Oh, I wrote you? him down, yeah. <laughs> I knew she would have done. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he was in. And we should have a word about our ATP Tennis Radio predictions. It's a competition. It is changing for 2019, some of the rules. But we have a couple of tournaments left. An honourable mention to Pete Hodges came out on top. Honourable mention for Jill, a four-way tie for second place so congratulations Jill I miles you know me in numbers I haven't got a clue mm. where you finished how do you feel how do you feel you did yeah usual mid-table mediocrity well no you probably it was okay yeah. I, did. I mean I had a Djokovic Federer Cilic Cilic let me down oh Cilic let me down Richard Connolly everyone let him down <laughs> he got 300 points when you're looking at Pete who came up with 3,900 we run it every Masters event if you're listening and you'd like to get involved we like to have someone who represents the listeners and for that you can just get in touch via our Twitter feed so we'll have another three for Paris and get in while you can because things are changing next year. 2019 is going to be very different on the prediction front. Jill Cravers, Miles McLaggen, thank you very much for being Thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. Gigi. Hope you can join us next week for double special plus a look ahead to the 500 level tournaments in Basel and Vienna with commentary from both finals before we bring you commentary of every day of the Rolex Paris Masters, the next gen ATP finals in Milan and of course the Nito ATP finals from the O2 in London. Please do check out our Twitter feed at ATP Tennis Radio which is where you can also put, not right now but your predictions for Paris if you'd like to represent the listeners and on that Twitter feed we'll bring you exclusive interview content every week and if you have time why not leave us a podcast read that would be lovely but until next time enjoy the tennis